that two years, I remember it quite distinctively, actually, like the two years after that, it was, there was a, yeah, there was quite a lot of demons I kind of fought through and I never really kind of spoke about it with anyone at the time. Um, but I remember jump, when jumping off Ritalin, I don't know if it was the effects of Ritalin, I'm not sure if it was the effects of how I was feeling, um, but I remember that time and I remember being, like I just thought that everyone could read my mind. I thought that everyone was talking about me. I thought like if I looked in the mirror, people were watching me from behind the mirror. Wow. And I probably went through that for about, yeah, two years during kind of intermediate. I kind of went through all that stuff. And when you jump off Ritalin because it suppresses your hunger, then all of a sudden, you know, I was like 40 years old and I was like 80-something kilos, like my just weight balloon. So then I had the effects of like self-confidence and, you know, I'm just eating everything and X, Y, Z, and then it just kind of blew on. So that kind of led all the way up until college, really. What is up, everyone? I am Lachlan Samuel, and this is the Open Up Podcast, the show where real people open up and share real stories of struggle. Welcome back to the Open Up Podcast, everyone. It's episode 66 with, what's your uh, gym called? The Tribe. The Tribe. Strength yeah. and Conditioning? Uh, the Tribe Strength and Movement, yeah. Okay, founder of that, Joshua Khan, Metu <laughs> brother. <laughs> thank you for making time to do this. Hey? Uh, thank you for having me, bro. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, first question straight off the bat. How would you describe yourself to anyone listening or watching? How would you describe the way that you view yourself as a man or a human? Either one. She could have asked me this before. Nah. Um, (laughs) How do I view myself as a man or as a human? Um, I'd view myself as a loving person. So I view myself as someone uh, like a loving partner, loving father. Um, I view myself, um, yeah, pretty much as a human. So I have my flaws, my failures, my mistakes. Um, you know, I stuff up at times. I'm not sure if you let us through in here, but I stuff up at times. Yeah, you can swim, man. Yeah, that's all good. I stuff up at times. Um, but, um, I'm a, I guess the, the probably, I'm, I'm a student of, of life and I'm, I'm always trying to learn and I'm always trying to better myself and, and try and become a better partner, better father, and a better better friend to those who are in my life. So I'm a, I'm a student of life, I guess you could probably say. That's a good answer. <laughs> Self-aware? Self-aware and honest? Self-aware and honest, yeah. My, uh, our, I don't know if you've met Cole before, but he trains, he's a trainer at the tribe, and he gave me the nickname Blunt as a Butter Knife. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I never really quite knew what that meant um, until – I guess dealing with the amount of clients that we deal with and I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I am pretty open and honest, you know, from, from a place of love, of course, and, and from a place where how can I help? Um, but when it comes to sharing, yeah, I'm definitely not shy of, of being honest and communicating because uh, it just, I guess, like, you know, when we don't communicate and we don't communicate properly, just how much that can lead to so many different problems. Yeah. Um, and especially when, in the industry that you're in. Especially yeah, 
health and fitness and people coming in to uh, I guess achieve these goals on a on a physical level there are so many barriers that we've created self-limiting beliefs that we sort of uh, adhere to and you've got to be the voice of reason yeah pretty much um and it's that that's kind of like the best part that uh, for myself I love about the job about being a coach is we get to see not just how someone changed physically but how they change mentally how their environment changes how their their habits and it's not so much from us lecturing but just I guess us showing up the way that we are and, and being authentic and then in turn the tribe is that environment and then they become a representation of that tribe we hope and if they don't then for some like it can be quite confronting and I understand that um, so for some like that they may not last but for those that are really wanting to give it a try and, and not just change physically but mentally it's it's cool to see that and that's probably the best part I love about being a coach and, and having a space like the tribe. Awesome bro, that's cool. So. <laughs> that's a good plug. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Tactics. come for late. Nah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it is like that's 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 probably the, the best part that Jay and I enjoy the most for sure. Cool. Um, your first story, the one that you're going to share today, pretty much starts in childhood. So you can just walk us through your story from childhood. So like from the day I was born, or the... <laughs> oh, up to you, man. <laughs> <laughs> the day I was born. Yeah. Um. I guess childhood. Like well. For myself, I uh, guess some of the like I'm, I'm definitely a reflection of my parents, and my my parents pulled some good values in me. Uh, we grew up Jehovah's Witness, so we grew up um, I guess in religion and with that Christian faith. Um, but from that, it was there was a lot of good values that I learned from religion. There's a lot of good values I learned from being Jehovah's Witness, and um, I definitely do feel. That kind of molded into who I was, uh, who I am today, for yeah. sure. Um, and I guess through my childhood, um, being diagnosed quite early with ADHD, so I was diagnosed quite early. I think I was at five or six. I think it was um, when I was diagnosed. And I definitely don't blame my parents for wanting to find out why I had, you know, all this abundance amount of energy and. Was you know because they were concerned and like my teachers would always tell them like you know Josh gets easily distracted and he always wants to be the social one and he's got all this energy and he can't stop moving and fidgeting so I, I definitely don't blame my parents for not finding out and and wanting to know why um, because my parents didn't know any different and and that's what the teachers were telling them and um, so yeah they took me along got tests done and yeah found I had ADHD and and things kind of changed from then onwards. Um, not changed in a bad way, but when uh, when I got put onto Ritalin, that was definitely a, a bit of a game changer. And anyone that's kind of gone through Ritalin before would kind of agree. You know, you you lose your appetite and you like become real drowsy and real shut off, and you don't. Um, for myself, like I couldn't, I could concentrate, but I wasn't, I wasn't still like I wasn't being myself. I wasn't. Because yeah. I was, we were, I guess, trying to contain the Josh, you know, everything so crazy and so much about energy. And we were trying to contain that and make him become, you know, like all the other kids that are in the classroom. That they can concentrate and not be distracted. And um, it wasn't until I guess I kind of hit intermediate was when I was kind of figuring all this out. And then I wanted to jump off it. 
um, and, and so kind of get like away from that. Whole day sort of thing? Like you take that and that's the effect that would last the entirety of the day or, that, or was that just like at certain points throughout the day? Yeah, I'll take it like a half a tab in the morning, I think it was, or, or, or a little pill and then um, I had to take one during school. Yeah. So they would kind of give me the responsibility to take you one during school. And whether I did or I didn't, I can't really remember too much um, from that, that end. But it wasn't until I got to intermediate and they had to pull you out of class and take you to the office and, and kind of, you know, give it to you. And oh, wow. and I didn't kind of enjoy that process because um, people would be asking, like, you know, what's going on, X, Y, Z. And, you know, when you're a kid, you start worrying about what people are thinking and you don't want them to think you're crazy and that type of thing. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until that point in intermediate, yeah, I pretty much sat down and spoke to mum and said, look, I don't do this anymore. Like, this is how I'm feeling. And she was real supportive. Like I give my parents props in that part. They're all supportive on, on that aspect. And they always, they always heard us out and we always spoke about things and we always kind of moved on quite quick from that. So yeah, I definitely give props to my parents for that side of it, for sure. That's probably why you're good at communicating then. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I definitely am a big reflection of my mother. Um, she's she kind of gets told the same thing that she's real straight up and to the point. Um, and fortunate enough, my mum's got ADHD too. So <laughs> we, uh, but you know, I'm definitely a mother's boy, and I'm quite close to my mum. So um, we definitely have those conversations every now and then. Um, um, with that, uh, like with your Ritalin, and then having. Obviously, when you get diagnosed and then you're having something like Ritalin to change, I guess, how you act and react, the sort of person that you are to change your personality throughout the day, it's hard enough knowing that, knowing that you're not acceptable, like just as you are, let alone being pulled out in front of everyone and having having that thought in your head that people are talking about you. Yeah. For so sure, it's like sort of confirmation that you don't fit in when it gets to that point at intermediate when you're being pulled out and taken to the office. One hundred percent. And when I look at now, like my nephew's got ADHD, um, and he's a lot. He's about fifteen, sixteen. But I look at him too, and and I definitely understand how he's feeling, and I definitely understand where he's coming from when he like lashes out or his behaviour or the way he is in social. Um, social environments and I see him and, and I definitely I feel it and I feel for him and I've, I do feel for a lot of other kids that I see that have been diagnosed with ADHD because I kind of know that that it's they just like it's it's a superpower in a way and but due to society and, and school and having to sit down like we kind of treat it as you know they're naughty and yeah. they're not like they're not concentrating and XYZ and you're like like this is who they are. Like it's, we can communicate. And, and I, I, for myself, a big game changer too with ADHD was I found um, food was a big one. So like if I was to change my food, for instance, and not have so many processed food and, or sugar foods or things that would naturally hype you up, they were high in sugar. So if yeah. I kind of tapped off that, that would help. Um, and if I was just to find ways where I could use my energy and use my um, my power of an abundance of money <laughs> energy, I would – you know, so I would just play and play sport and then by the end of the day like, I could be calm and chilled and, and then that's that's how I use exercise now to let go of a lot of my energy and kind of stimulate and stimulate my mind in a way where I just kinda of just go and let it all out and then a couple of hours and then 
now we can go to bed and, and Jamie's fine now. <laughs> um, so like back to intermediate where you have this conversation with your parents that you want to come off Ritalin, um, that you don't like the way it makes you feel. How did you view yourself at that point, if you remember? Because I, like, as someone who hasn't had it, I could imagine myself feeling like I was, in a sense, broken in comparison yeah. to everyone else. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was a, um, that two years. I remember it quite distinctively, actually. Like, the two years after that, it was there was a yeah, there was quite a lot of demons I kind of fought through, and I never really kind of spoke about it with anyone at the time. Um, but I remember jump when jumping off Ritalin. I don't know if it was the effects of Ritalin. I'm not sure if it was the effects of how I was feeling. Um, but I remember that time, and I remember being like I just thought that everyone could read my mind. I thought that everyone was talking about me. I thought like if I looked in the mirror, people were watching me from behind the mirror. Wow. And I probably went through that for about. Yeah, two years during kind of intermediate, I kind of went through all that stuff. And when you jump off Ritalin because it suppresses your hunger, then all of a sudden, you know, I was like 40 years old and I was like 80-something kilos, like my just weight balloon. So then I had the effects of like self-confidence and, you know, I'm just eating everything and X, Y, Z, and then it just kind of blew on. So that kind of led all the way up until college, really. Um, and that was – Looking, I look back at it every now and then when people ask, um, but I've never really kind of shared that story, I guess. Um, I was speaking to Jay about it when we are talking every now and then, but, yeah, that was a big one for me, eh, when, when I jumped off it. I still don't know why I kind of felt that way or why I was going through that, um, but I know that, yeah, that two years after jumping off Ritalin was, yeah, it was pretty hard, yeah, for sure. That's, that's hectic, man. And you weren't yeah. comfortable talking to anyone about that? Not really, not not that side of it. Like, I wasn't too sure why I was feeling that way. Um, I wasn't too sure why I thought everyone was talking about me or why I thought if I looked in the mirror, there was someone behind it, you know, people were watching me. I'm not really too sure why, so I kind of just battled on and just kind of, and yeah, just kind of just try to move on or just try and figure out or... And then it wasn't until I kind of got to college where, yeah, kind of that kind of just, I don't know if it either like subsided or if it kind of like I put it into a dark place somewhere. I'm, I'm not really too sure. Um, and I'm not too sure if it came out later on in life. But, yeah, just, yeah, that two years was pretty hectic, yeah. So that's not something you like worked through to overcome. That's just something that sort of slipped away as you grew older? Yeah, I I don't, I'm not too sure if it if it came out in times of my life. I do know now, like when there are certain things when it comes to doing something I enjoy, I definitely do think like how are people going to think about this? How are people going to feel? And I definitely do know now like that's something I definitely battle with. Um, and I do know like that's something that triggers me. So I know like I need to work. I need to work through that or work into it. Or I need to you know, make myself a part of that more often because I know where it's kind of arising from. Um, and, yeah, I've just, yeah, I've just kind of tried to work on that ever since pretty much. Wow. So moving into college, you've put on a lot of weight. <laughs> um, a big boy. Yeah, how did that, like it's easy to see in hindsight, but looking back now, how did that 
impact you and the way that you interacted with people? Like, um, were you were you comfortable interacting with people and socialising um, as you were coming off the medication? I uh, during school or during I guess intermediate like past intermediate college, I kind of enjoyed interacting with people in a way where I kind of wanted to be accepted. Okay. Um, I wanted to kind of have friends. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the only main point. Like I didn't want to be known as one of those guys who was kind of a loner or known as one of those guys who was kind of weird. So I kind of forced myself into gaining friends and seeing people that I thought were cool and then wanting to socialize and be around them. Um, so that was kind of a, a big part of it. Um, and then I guess with my seeing the way my parents were, I kind of knew that it wasn't normal to feel this way. Um, but I need to kind of do something about this. And that kind of led me into here yeah, kind of moving on quite quickly and, and kind of subsiding the feeling in a way, not really addressing it, but kind of like subsiding it for now and, and let's try and move on okay. type thing. So were you during that period, were you being yourself or were you being someone who you thought people would like? Probably being something that people would like, for sure, um, especially, especially at that stage and that age. It wasn't until maybe five, six years ago where I started kind of being myself in a way, or five or six, seven years ago. So I guess that whole – I was always honest and always open, but deep down I, I still had, you know, a few of those masks that I would put on and, and I would – I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't be as open or as as um, blunt as a butter knife as I would be now. <laughs> um, I definitely wouldn't communicate as as much as I do now. But um, yeah, I'd say from college up until like five or six years ago, when it wasn't Damn. for sure. She I, definitely was used to wear a, diff- a few masks for sure. Yeah, I think when you're comfortable within yourself and you're acting in alignment with who you actually are, then you don't feel the need to sort of soften anything you say. One hundred percent. You can be authentic and genuine with what you say because if someone doesn't vibe with that, then they're probably not the person you want around. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And it took a long, long time to figure that out. Um, and it, it took, yeah, it took a long time to figure that out. One hundred percent. I can't, I can't agree more, brother. Can't agree That's more. Um, so I guess fast forward to when you start either processing or overcoming. Um, what had happened to you from ADHD? Um, how did you go about that process? Because I think before uh, when we chatted beforehand, you spoke about the self-limiting beliefs that you had because of it. Yeah, because uh, when you, I guess, well, the, this was my experience. So I don't know how everyone was when it came to ADHD, but from my experience looking in, I found ADHD was kind of labelled in a way where, you know, like people, they get easily distracted, procrastinate, can't learn, they have learning disability, um, they're, they're always moving, always fidgety, you know, all these different things. And it was never really shared, I guess, the benefits of having ADHD. Yeah. So when it came to learning, I left school at 15 
purely because I just thought that I just can't do this. I can't sit here very long. I can't learn. Yeah. I'm struggling to learn. This doesn't appeal to me at all. All I enjoyed about school was lunchtime and rugby. Like that was <laughs> that was like my, my two favorite things was lunchtime and rugby. And I'm like, what am I doing here? This isn't like this isn't this isn't me. I'm I'm really not enjoying this. So I just went straight into the workforce um and just yeah started working trying to make money and and just trying to be like every other moldy kid with flash clothes and <laughs> and money in their money in their pockets and and having all the food and i try to be one of those moldy kids pretty much you know one of those cool guys um so how do you well how did you go about breaking those stereotypes because like you were diagnosed young so mm. that story that you would have told yourself that would have in time become a belief um, that you instilled in yourself and that others would have put upon you. How do you go about breaking that? Because those sort of beliefs that you take on from childhood, they can remain without, with you throughout your entire life. 100%. And I, I, am, I see it in so many people too, and even a lot of our clients that we train, a lot of limiting beliefs that were poured into them at such a young age. And they're like 40, 50, 60 and still battling through those things. And a lot of us aren't conscious of it. You know, a lot of us don't know that we don't see it. We've never communicated about it. We've never talked about it. Um, And for myself, the biggest turning point was um, my environment changed at a certain point in my life. And that was about six years ago. Um, My environment changed. And that's when I kind of started learning. But the big part of the environment was starting to learn like personal development, reading, podcasts, and that type of thing. And it wasn't until I started diving into that and going to seminars and because I've always been quite open. Um, as soon as I got the taste of that, I was just like, I was hooked. Um, and I just, I loved every aspect of that. And I loved, I loved the feeling of that, but, I just loved, I guess, being in that environment where I could be myself. You know, I didn't have to wear those masks. And then I kind of figured out that, like, well, actually, I don't have to wear those masks in any environment. I can just be me in any environment. And then I'm just like, oh, hey, look, you know, and then that kind of turned into, I guess, looking back with ADHD, that's when I started looking at at ADHD as a superpower in a way where it's – I have this abundance amount of energy, so I'm going to use that now and I can use it in a way that that helps me and I can multitask and I can get things done that I want to get done. And there were so many aspects of ADHD that I used to limit me, but then it became pretty much who I am. And I'm like, oh, actually, this is actually really great. I could actually I could actually use this, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I still – I still battled at times, like especially with the studying part of it or or uh, when I'd study for uh, becoming a PT to become a coach, like that would, took me a whole year to do online because um, I was always battling back and forth like, oh, I can't do this. Like I need my partner to help me. I need to like – and like, yeah, that's kind of why it took me a whole year to kind of get an online when really it should only take you three months. <laughs> Perseverance, man. Perseverance is key. Yeah, consistency. <laughs> um, so, how do you how do you go from someone who's dropped out of high school at fifteen, wanting to get all these flashy clothes by working, <laughs> to someone, or from someone who had ADHD and had those self limiting beliefs of I can't do this, I can't learn, 
like how do you go from that to a point where you're enlisting yourself in seminars and online courses yeah i learned um i learned early on that um that my way of learning well it wasn't until I left school but I learned early on that my way of learning was like with my physical hands or yeah. viewing or listening so I found out that once I got into work that I, I enjoyed it because I was figuring things out with my hands I was figuring things out as I saw it and then I kind of I used work in that way as like hey I actually like doing this like I actually enjoy this I don't have to think too much I don't oh, sorry I don't have to read or I don't have to study anything I just have to show up and work and that was kind of my fuel when it came to work and seeing my dad, my dad and my mum and my dad were, were big, like they had a big work, they have a they have a big work ethic. Yeah. And I knew that if I wanted something, pretty my, my parents were gonna give it to me. So if I wanted something, I had to go get it myself. Yeah. And my mum always told me that if you want something, you have to go get a son because you're not gonna get it from us. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be lucky if you get it from us. So um, and, and, you know, and I knew that and I, was, I, I saw that in my parents, they were very hard workers. My grandparents are very hard workers. So I knew that, um, one, I enjoyed work. Um, I enjoyed working hard. I enjoyed working hard doing something I enjoyed. And I, I used that as my fuel for, for a long time until I gave it up to then start working for myself. But pretty much, yeah, that whole like 10, 15, 10 to 13 year period, yeah, I kind of used work in that way where, um, if it was something new, I love this, I can figure this out, I don't have to read anything, I can figure this out with my mind, with my hands, by seeing, by listening, and then that was kind of my way of getting past the fact of having to actually sit down in a classroom, yep. you know, so, awesome. yeah. So like, uh, growing up and going through the schooling system with ADHD, being the kid who was always fidgety and had too much energy, um, I can imagine that you wouldn't have felt like you had much to offer or much value in that sort of environment. Did you find value in being a hard worker then when you left school? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. That was like, that was like my scapegoat from having to confront the fact that I have this limiting belief when it comes to learning from studying or being in a classroom. So my way of avoiding that was going out and working hard and, and that's pretty much effectively what I'd done. I'll just go out. I think my first job was a builder and I worked hard. I worked hard for my boss. He was a really nice guy and I really I had a good relationship with him. So I worked hard and I worked hard for him. And then I went into furniture removal, same thing. I worked hard into that. I loved that. That was a really physical job. Again, I could let go of my energy so I could let go of this abundance amount of energy that I had. And then I would use it on working. I would use it on furniture removals and I loved it. I loved lifting heavy things and that was that was cool. And then, yeah, my next two or three jobs after that was this, was the same thing. It was a physical job. It was something that I loved to do and I enjoyed. And that, yeah, like you say, that, that was my, that was where I found value. That's where I could give value because I've always kind of been naturally strong. So I could use my strength in that way. I could lift things up. I could do things that other people wouldn't do. And, and I thrived off that. That's cool, man. How do you, it sounds like that sort of become your identity, this hard worker. Mm. And I can relate to that, man. And I lost that and I fell into depression because of losing that like hard working identity, especially with FIFO. But do you feel like that translated into your self-development? That yeah. That of working hard and that's how you see yourself providing value? Yeah, for sure. Even now, like even now when, 
um, with our long days, I still fall into that. I still fall into it's a long day, but this is like who I am. I'm a hard worker, X, Y, Z. But I know too, it's especially being with my partner, Jay, she likes to step back a lot more and take time out. So that's like another process that I'm trying to learn is like slowing down. But even when I slow down, I'm just like, like just thinking like X, thinking this, thinking that. So even slowing down for me, I'm still like up until the time I go to sleep. But um, so I went on a tangent there. Um, But yeah, I, I would say, it's definitely like probably one of my biggest attributes as someone who's a hard worker. Yeah. Um, but then it wasn't until I went through that personal development phase that I found out that we can work hard, but we can work hard in something we enjoy. And then we, it's, what was the saying? It was the saying, it's like, not hard working, but smart. Like, don't work hard. Work smarter, work smarter, not harder. Work smarter, yeah, work smarter, not harder, you know? And then I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, hold on. But my, my outlet was, was being a physical worker. My, that was my outlet. That was my way of valuing myself. Um, uh, I think that's an Australian thing. I didn't hear that. <laughs> I didn't hear that back home. Uh, that's funny. That's a good point, actually. It was only, yeah, work hard or go home. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and then when I, when I moved into demolition before I became a coach and, and moved into PT, yeah, same thing too. Like I worked in demolition for like four years and I really enjoyed the job. But same thing too, like you say, it's that was my way of giving value was being physical and jackhammering floors and jackhammering walls and sledgehammering and world brain like that's and I loved it. I thrived off it. I was like, this is awesome. Like this is this is this is the best. And then I was like, hold on. I'm just battling myself because I'm I'm not facing up to the demons inside and the demons inside being that I can actually do something I love and enjoy, and I actually can sit down and apply myself. And I can actually, I actually can learn something new, not just with my hands, but actually sitting down and reading, and sitting down and, and listening, and being part of a classroom. Cool, man. Was there any specific moment that you can remember, like an aha moment, where it finally clicks in your head that you can transition that sort of um, mindset and work ethic from physical labor to doing something for yourself yeah it was um simon cynic's uh ted talk um nice. your why i think it was yeah and i remember first time watching it and i thought oh this guy's trippy as i need to watch this again and then i watched it again and watched it again and this would have been like six five or six years ago now and then i read his i listened i didn't read so i listened to his book um starting with your why and then i listened to his next book um why elite is he last and then that's when I kind of everything started clicking. And then that's when I really started diving into podcasts and audio books. And then it was just one book after the other, one book after the other. And then I was just like, oh shit, this is deep. And then that, but there, yeah, go back to your question. It was Simon Sinek's TED Talk. That's um, cool. Your why. I think for sure. a good example too of like not all of us learn well the same way. Like you didn't learn well in a, um, education structure but you know when you come out of that you find podcasts and audiobooks and you're able to easily consume that and apply it to your life and I guess to anyone who's listening who's struggling finding resistance in the way that they're learning um, or applying their learning at the moment it's just you got to find what's right for you 
100%, yeah. I definitely do believe, like you say, finding what's right for you, finding the easiest path first to get there, to get there to the path of less resistance. But once you work through that and you find that, like I'm now I can read a book now, so I'm reading – I've read two books now. <laughs> I've read two books my whole life. Um, but I've read two books. But the book I'm reading now is um, David Goggins' Can't Hurt Me. Bro. Um, and I really love – yeah, I really love reading this book and like I'm really struggling to put it down and I'm like, this is the first actual book. The first book that I started reading was Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and that's kind of when I was really diving into personal development, but I really struggled with it. Like I had to read each page like two, three times. Yeah. I had to read the book again and I'm like, this just isn't clicking. And that's when, yeah, like you say, I found podcasts and I found audio books and as soon as I listened to it, it was just like ping, ping, ping. It was just like one after the other, one after the other. And then being going through that the last six or seven years, now I can actually say I can actually sit down and read a book and I can actually apply my mind to reading. And that took me like six or seven years of bypassing the reading part and going to what's easiest. And that was, like you say, audio books. That was my way of learning. That's awesome, bro. Damn, for sure. That's cool. And don't judge yourself for only reading two books. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> yeah, you, yeah, I, I, yeah, you're so true. You're so true. It's, we definitely have to find the easiest way oh that's i believe find the easiest way first and if that's audiobooks and videos and that's my way of like i can watch a video and whatever they say it sticks in me and i'm like boom yeah let's move on like i've just applied that yeah and i think in that book he talks about being dyslexic and forcing himself to learn forcing himself to read yeah for sure he had to he had to uh, for him to move on and and be something that he wanted to be he had to force himself like not just straight away but over time just like you said perseverance just taking each day to come one hour two hours to that point where he sat down done what he done and then he was able to apply for what he wanted to apply for and um yeah it took me six years to get to that point <laughs> but um patience is <laughs> patience is key that's it man um you wanted to talk about a, a relationship as well um, did yeah. you want to walk us through that if you're still comfortable talking about it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've got no um, uh, problem with talking about that. Yeah, when I um, I met my, my ex-partner at the time, we were quite young, I think 18 or 19. She was pretty much like the first love, I guess, the first love of my life type thing. Um, and we were together for 10 years, I think it was, 10 years. Um, but the relationship... The relationship was quite toxic, um, but for myself personally, because my my parents uh, like I always wanted to like always trust and always help, and my my parents' way of giving is service, yep. so they love to give their service. And for me, my way of loving for her was to do the same thing. Like I was always hanging in there. I was always optimistic that things would change and I will always think to myself that if I just stay in here and, and keep going I'm gonna I'm gonna help her and things are gonna change one day um and then yeah it wasn't until I had that personal development route that I really figured out that I wasn't facilitate I wasn't helping her I was just facilitating the problems that were arising yep. and it, I remember it too it was exactly one year from the very first day where I sat down and and learned what actually personal development is. Um, but what I didn't, I guess, at the time, I was been doing that the last 25 years of my life. Um, 
but that's when I kind of found out what personal development was. And then it wasn't until a year of reading, listening, attending seminars, X, Y, Z, that I knew then um, a year later that, yeah, I'm not helping the situation at all and I need to move on. Yeah, and I think if I'm just making an assumption, so correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're in that personal development space and you're continually growing, yet the person you're with is staying the same, it's hard to keep expanding while you see your significant other not doing anything to progress. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I when it, it got to that point where I, I wouldn't say much say I was like here and she was here, but yeah. uh, I'd grown into a space where I knew that I knew my self worth. I knew how much I valued myself. I knew like my, I knew that it just that, that this isn't right and that this isn't how life should be, you know, like we're in this relationship and every week or two weeks we're just arguing we're arguing over nothing because no one can can communicate with each other we're both making assumptions we're both blaming we're both pointing the finger we're both nagging and I knew then a year later that this isn't normal this isn't how a relationship should be yeah and even though we love each other love still isn't enough to feel this way yeah you know like it's it's not enough to feel this way is we shouldn't feel um insecure about ourselves and we shouldn't have so much resentment towards someone even though we have love there yeah because i would just facilitate oh i guess i would just like just because i was so optimistic and open-minded i always believed that things would change things would change it'd be right things would change i'm learning all this stuff She's coming sometimes too. Like I know that things will change. Um, and then, yeah, it was just like, no, nah, man, things are changing. <laughs> things are getting worse. Things are getting worse because I'm, I'm, I'm resenting letting go. I'm resenting change. And then when, when we come from a space of resentment, things just get worse and things get worse. And we think, oh, look, you know, blue skies, things are getting better. And then, boom, something worse even happens. And you're like, this is worse than before. Like what's going on here? I thought we were getting better. And then that's when I knew, ah, okay, it's getting worse because I'm I'm avoiding what I should be doing. Like this is how I'm feeling. This is what I should do. Yeah. But because I'm avoiding it, shit's getting worse, and it's getting worse for us both. And I knew then, okay, we need to move on. Okay. So for someone in that position who's striving to progress um, through self development, I could see myself trying to force my significant other to progress with me did you fall into that as well yeah 100 percent. yeah that first year was like she was open-minded and she was keen but at the same time she she didn't feel that um she needed to change and at that time i didn't quite understand but i wanted her to change but it wasn't what i wasn't allowing space for was giving her time to change but i knew that for her to have time to change she couldn't do it with me and it wasn't like you said that aha uh, with that light bulb moment. I knew then I was like, ah, okay, we like this isn't this is really toxic, um, and it was hurting our relationship, our friends, my family, and and there was so many things that had arise that um, I guess was happening, um, but because I was pretty much 
I am a bit of a softie and I have a bit of a soft heart. I, I let a lot of it slide and I kind of let her do these things, um, even though I probably, yeah, deep down I knew I shouldn't have. Yeah. Deep down I knew I should have, okay. yeah, cut ties earlier. So you talked about, about like a year in, um, a year worth of self-development. You talk about understanding your own worth. Do you feel then throughout that relationship your worth was tied up in being her partner? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I guess the the biggest turn more than anything was knowing that this isn't who I am, like knowing that this isn't me, like I've been trying so hard to fit in an environment. I've been trying so hard to fit in everything that I'm learning. I know that that, that this just isn't right. Like this just isn't normal. And when I figured that out, I knew straight away. And even when we broke up, like we broke up, it was December 18th. We broke up. No, sorry. She flew out December 18th. It was a week earlier. We broke up and I didn't feel sad at all. I didn't feel angry. I felt like, I guess how they say, like, you know, the whole world's taken off your shoulders type thing. And to be honest, I did. Like, I felt I felt so happy. I felt I felt at peace, and I knew that this was right, and I knew that there was no way we were going to get back together. So when that happened, I sold my – we didn't have much money at the time. There were so many different things, but I sold my dining table and chairs. I think somebody picked it up the next day, and I bought her a ticket home, and she flew home, and that was it. Well, wow. Damn. And then – yeah, so, and then – not that was the December 18th. I was expecting from a long-term yeah. relationship. Yeah, December 18th, she flew out, and yeah, I spent Christmas with my dog and some friends, and um, yeah, that was and, – and, and everyone that had asked at the time, because I didn't want to keep bringing up the story and because I didn't want to delve into the reasons why, I was just like, it was. this is just a mutual thing. We it was right for both of us, and that was it. Like I didn't talk about the story, I didn't talk about the reasons why, I didn't talk about X, any any X Y Z or any story. It was just like this was a mutual thing, and and it was time for me to move on. I don't want to keep bringing up the story, and I don't want to keep talking about it. And it, it wasn't until I met uh, my partner. Now that was probably like the first time I kind of shared why we had broken up, and then the real deciding factor. And um, but for everyone else, because I didn't want to live with that story or I didn't want to let that be my identity or I didn't want to have anger towards her, you know, like I, I still feel like, you know, everything, I still feel that she should have, still have everything that she wants and I have nothing but love for her. And and I felt for myself that me talking about it, the story or bringing up the story would just cut that off, you know, like I was, I would always live in that, in that moment. So for myself, for moving on quite quickly was just to not talk about the story at all. Um, and was to, for myself to move on. Um, and that was kind of my way of moving on. And that was kind of my way of getting past that point. Okay. Um, you, I guess last question, like about this relationship, you, you spoke about you being so optimistic and so, open-minded um and understanding can you think of like another reason why you stayed in that relationship for so long if it was so toxic was was there a sense of validation for you especially someone growing up who didn't really fit in yeah it was like 
there was, I guess, this person and, and she loved me. And even though she didn't so much love me for who I am, but she loved me. Yeah. And, um, and for me, like, that love was enough to the point where I just, for some reason, I just thought things were going to change, things were going to change. But I didn't, for the same time too, like, I didn't kind of know any different. Like, I, I thought that this was normal. Like, I thought being in a relationship like this was normal. Like, it's it's normal to argue or it's normal to say that, you know, oh, she's the boss and it's normal to ask your partner for um, for permission to go do something and it's normal to, if they say no, then you can't do it. You know, like, it was yeah. that's what I thought was the norm and then it wasn't until, yeah, personal development, I was like, hold on, like, this isn't a relationship. This is like, this is a boss and, and I'm, the, I'm the employee and, you know, and I'm just like, this isn't a relationship at all. This is, yeah, there's nothing, there's no value here for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I can understand why that's a hard thing to let go of, especially if it was like the first person who's shown genuine love for you outside of your family or your circle, I guess. Mm. So, I mean, having that love, for most people, means safety. That means that you're enough. So I can understand why that was hard. Yeah, for sure. And it was um, being your first one, being your first love, and someone you'd been with for so long. Um, I didn't. I didn't know any different, and I didn't know how there was an out. I didn't know what my future was going to. I didn't know what was going to come about in my future. I guess. Yeah. Um, but then I get to like, you know, like yourself, when you start figuring that stuff out, you're like, hold on, I'm focusing about the wrong things right now. Um, and I need to be focusing about myself and focusing about my own self-worth and my own value. Um, and yeah, there were so many other things that had happened in that relationship. Um, but that was kind of the, that was the main deciding factor. That's cool. Um, so you explain briefly what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. So you've gone through the ADHD, you went on Ritalin, you got off it, you've gone through this relationship and then you finally got to a point where you became comfortable learning yourself after like a childhood of telling yourself that you couldn't do it. Um, what are you doing now? What am I doing now? Um, well, it was, yeah, I guess it was quite funny like when, when she flew out that, uh, that December, um, 18th that new year's i found my my current partner now so you've met jay before so i met jamie uh down at the beach i was highly intoxicated so i don't really remember too much um of the <laughs> evening but obviously i had obviously i had the moves and obviously i, I impressed her enough uh with my smile that uh she um, accepted my friend request on facebook <laughs> and then hey all this history um but yeah like that that um when i met jay and we had our first date uh, we had our first date in, at the Twilight Markets in Perth, and uh, we spent six hours. We spent six hours talking. Jeez. Uh, we spent. We had three meals in that time too, just so you know. So we had <laughs> we had three meals. Um, I was quite impressed that she could eat. Um, but yeah, we had. Yeah, we spoke for six hours, and I kind of knew. I wasn't looking for anyone to be honest because I just came out of the relationship, but I knew then that this is someone who I want to be around. And, and I knew then that this is someone who accepted me for me. And I was like, okay, this is different. Like this is, 
possibly this could be how a relationship should be. Um, and then as we started getting to know each other a lot more and we started going with dates, I thought it was like, okay, this is exactly what love is and this is exactly how a relationship should be and this this is this is how I should feel and this is how she should feel and um yeah we moved on from that. Um and then um she was an oil and gas so I helped her uh, we helped kind of help her get out of oil and gas because that was quite a toxic environment for her. She started at um as a as a PT and then that's when I kind of started to make the progress on pretty much every minute I had. I was just listening to podcasts, listening to podcasts, building up that confidence to then leave my job um, and work with her. And then we, yeah, led into, I think I was doing that for six months. We led into opening up the tribe and then we've been running that ever since for two years uh, with our son and another one on the way. Wow. That's awesome, man. Super yeah. cute. <laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, he's amazing, man. He's he's everything. He, he teaches me more than than I could ever offer him, you know. So even though he doesn't know yet because he's only nearly two, but um, he teaches me so much, man. Like it's it's crazy. Uh, it's crazy. We've got a question about that point where you start realising, oh, this is, this is what love should feel like, this is what a relationship should be like. Um, did you feel like you deserved that sort of love and attention? Like were there any barriers that you had to knock down because of that previous relationship? Nah, I was, I was really still not really. Nah, I was really, um, I was really open to, um, how it felt. I was really open to how fresh it felt, how new it felt, how I'd never felt this before. So I was really open to that. And I knew that this is too good to, to not go with like this is this like she was pretty much the epitome of what I wanted was looking for in a relationship but I didn't actually know that it existed um because of my relationship before so as soon as I started to get to know her and we started hanging I was like yeah shit this is this is real like this is what the universe or whatever you call it is provided and I would be dumb to not roll with this and I would be dumb to be, be, be so closed off to this. That's pretty cool. Cause most people in that position who are in a long-term toxic relationship would sabotage something good that come along. I did that with my partner now for like fuck, a, year, <laughs> a year, maybe two years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like sabotage the shit out of it. So power to you, man, for recognizing something good. And what, and what was kind of that leading point for yourself that you kind of figured that out? Like when when was that moment when you figured that out? That I was sabotaging it? Yeah. Um, it's been like I knew it all along, but it was just like I'd do stupid shit and then realize, oh, shit, I'm on the verge of like losing this person or pushing this person away. I don't want that. Maybe I'm acting this way because I feel like I don't deserve it. And so yeah. it's just been similar to you, like over this period of getting to know myself a little better, being honest with myself and seeing my own self-worth that I'm open to having someone else appreciate me for me. Yeah, 100%. Being this dude on steroids who, who looked good. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it's 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 such a it's and it's I guess you've probably found it too with the amount of people you speak to it and it's quite common, isn't it? Like it's quite common um, for us to to self sabotage and for us to um, have those old habits and have those old beliefs stop us from accepting what's right in front of us and accepting what's beautiful. Um, But yeah, for myself, like I just knew that shit, this is, this is what life, this is like, uh, this is just, yeah, she doesn't, I don't, I don't say it enough to her, but yeah, she knows. She knows she's the shit. (laughs) She knows, she knows she's the shit. So, um, and I knew that, yeah, real early on. Awesome, bro. A couple questions and then we'll wrap up. Yo, knowing what you've been through, the ADHD, Ritalin, um, that relationship, and then now finding your partner and having uh, your gym, what would you say the quality of your life is like now? The quality of my life? Um, the quality of my life? That's a good question. Um... I don't know if this is the answer, but um, right now where I'm at, I'm grateful for sure. Good. Like that's um, – I always think of that and I write down my gratitudes every day and um, that's that's the place I come from right now is I come from a place of grateful uh, gratitude because I could never believe in the past, you know, prior to that six years before I left my ex, I'd never believe that something like this was possible. You know, I could never believe that I could own my own business or I could be that kid who grew up in that environment and end up coming out of it and actually owning a business and actually working for himself. And because of that, that's that's my drive. Like when we have those 14, 15-hour days or we work all weekend, I still don't think of it as it's a job and I still don't think of it as I need time out. I'm just always grateful so it doesn't, I don't feel tired by it. I don't feel bogged down. I don't feel stressed by it because I couldn't ask for a better result right now than I could ever ask for pretty much. Yeah, and I think that's part and parcel of living in alignment and doing something you love with someone. Oh, 100%, 100%. Like there's no doubt about that and that's that's the beauty of it and when when – when our clients talk to us about that and we they talk about what they're wanting to do and they venture out and we're, we're always open to share the possibilities but also tell them, like, to be real, like, hey, there are going to be long days and it's it's going to be hard, but if this is something that you really love and enjoy, it, it will pay off. You just, like, it'll just take time. You know, it, it'll, like anything, we just have to persevere and it will it will take time. And the time we have with our son like he's he's my why now. My why's changed over the years, um, but my my son and our and our next child like they're my why. They're the big reason why um, I do what I do, and they're the reason why I still work hard. I guess still put in those hours, <laughs> still using my value and working hard. Um, but yeah, they're they they're, they're the biggest reason why I do what I do for sure. Cool man. Um, what have you added to your life or removed from it to improve the quality of it? Um, what have I added to my life? So you, you just um, spoke about gratitude. How are you implementing that? Uh, so we have a um, – I wrote it down too, but we also have a thread with our other coaches and Jay 
where we share our gratitudes every morning. So we have a thread um, for our tribe gym. So um, the other coaches, we share our gratitudes, we share our intent for the day. Um, so that's something that we've kind of added because Jay and I, we just write it down. Um, but I guess for us to, for the tribe to grow as a whole and, and to not so much, and to also bring our coaches with us, you know, like we, we can all win here. Um, we felt that that was an integral part. So that was something that I feel was a big game changer that we added um, was yeah, sharing our gratitudes in public with our coaches and, and sharing and also sharing too, like when we are feeling down, when we are feeling tired, like our, when we are slacking off or when we are not feeling right, like, you know, we share that and that's that's what I enjoy about um, that. So that, that's something I've we've recently added over the last month or two months or so. Um, and one thing that I've taken away from or eliminated um i couldn't so much oh for myself personally one thing that i've been really conscious of trying not to do or try to eliminate is um it was kind of arise from my mum actually when having adhd my mum used to always say um think first, act later. Like, I need you to think first time before you act. And I need you to think, and it was something that she repeated all the time, you know, because I would just go do something and then I'd be like, oh, shit, this is the consequences. Um, and it's kind of been the last maybe six months or so that that's, uh, that's been coming back up again. Think first, act later. And being a coach and having, you know, X amount of clients messaging and so many different messages, um, that's probably the biggest thing I've I've started, I wouldn't say, I've started to do, or I've started not to do, as I'm, I'm starting not to just act first and, <laughs> and oh, sorry, speak first and act later. So yeah. now I'm like actually thinking first, I'm taking a moment, I'm thinking about what I'm going to reply, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say. And if it feels right, I'm going to say it. If it comes from a place of love, I'm going to say it. If it doesn't, then I'm not going to mention anything at all. And then I'll talk about it with Jay. So, one thing that I've been, one thing that I've kind of been eliminating in the last yeah six months or so is um, not being so quick with my reaction, not being so quick with um, how I act and what I say, and actually think about it first. Um, so even though I don't think, even though I don't think Mum put it, I don't, even though I don't think Mum intended it to be that way, um, yeah, just so, yeah, if she does watch this, yeah, you're pretty onto it there, Mum. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that led to where I'm at now where, yeah, I'm trying not to act so quickly and, and think about things first and actually sit in it and then and then reply or and then talk about it. Oh, man, I think everyone could use a little bit of first. <laughs> <laughs> later. later. Yeah, it's crazy. Eh? Ever since um, I've been implementing that, it's it's been crazy to see how many how much things are changing. And just how I, even my communication and our relationship with Jay, like even how that's evolving, and and yeah, that was probably the biggest game changer over the last six months. Hey, especially with clients, like I yeah. guess a lot of you guys know when you're if you read a message, you can perceive it in a different way. But if you actually sit there and think about it, and if you think about the whole scheme of things, and you think about what they may be going through, and is this question bringing something up inside you, and then you know, you've only it might only take you a minute or two, and then you're like, "Oh shit, hold on!" Like, I was going about to say something, and I'll just delete that now. And hey, can we just speak in person? Like, it's probably easier in person. Yeah. Um. So I would say, yeah, for anyone watching, like, 
just maybe take like five minutes, <laughs> just like maybe five minutes before we reply and, and actually sit in it first and, and think about the whole grand scheme of things. Because I don't think anything that people say to us is like really against us. It's like either they're fighting against something or they're wanting to like just talk to someone or yeah. deep down they feel a certain way. And I'm just that person that they're just at that certain point of time of the day, I'm that person that they're giving it out to. Um, so I know that it's got nothing to do with me. So I know now, like I have to kind of sit in it for a second and think and, and then move on. That's cool. That's really good advice. <laughs> <laughs> think um, first, act later. <laughs> last question, bro. What are you most grateful for right now? What am I most grateful for right now? Right now, I'm most grateful for my son. Like for sure, he's yeah, he's amazing. He um, as much as because we have so many parents that train at the gym, um, and you see how everyone parents, and I think about my parents, and I think about Jamie's parents. Um, the biggest thing that I've taken away from him is I'm learning more about myself, even more than I than I'm actually teaching him to become a man or to become a boy and. You know, like he's taught me how to be present. He's taught me how to um, – you can have fun any time of the day. So if it's 4 o'clock in the morning and you want to roll out of bed, you can go play with your toys. You know, like he's teaching me you can be – you can have fun any time of the day. He's teaching me to be present. He's teaching me um, to love and kiss more. And, um, yeah, I'm more grateful for him than he, than he knows right now. So – um, but one day I'll be able to talk talk to that. I talk to him about that, and I'll be able to share that with him, so that when he has kids, um, those are the little gems to actually look at. And you know, like rather than getting caught up of are we doing things right or wrong, or are we a bad parent or not, actually look at what they're doing and yeah. be like, hey, actually, like what they're doing, they're onto something here, and. Maybe I need to sit back and and watch more. Maybe I need to sit back and and observe and and take something from them. Sick man, that's awesome. Mm. Um, to wrap up, bro, just want to acknowledge you for making time to do this, for leaving your gym and getting some <laughs> Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about it until you said it, and I was like, oh damn, I don't have Wi-Fi at the gym, so I better shoot home, but. No, thank you. Thank you for um, leaving space for me and, and sharing my story. And, and I'm grateful for what you do and I'm grateful for the platform that you have um, because I know that it's it's only doing good and I know that you've got so much love and um, I'm excited to see where you go with Cheers, this. Brother. Thank you for sharing your story. Yeah. Thank you, bro. Take care, Appreciate it, brother. I'll see you soon, eh, for a session. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, oh. Here's the tip, yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, cutting out. Sorry, cutting out.